On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is signed or what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marvelled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. So we have Anna and Simeon, two older people devoted to spending their time in the temple. Anna, quite a sad story. She's been a widow for possibly around 60 years. And she has devoted herself, as I say, to to being around the temple. There must have been lots of jobs and tasks that needed to be done, daily worship, daily people coming to sacrifice. And she was there every day in the temple. And Simeon, also an older man. Possibly he was a priest in the temple, taking the sacrifices and presenting them to God. But at an early age, at a young age, he had been told through the Holy Spirit that he would not die before seeing the Messiah. What a promise. There was a large number of Jewish people at that time who were waiting and expecting that the Messiah would arrive in their lifetime. But he's got this sort of 
special insight that he has, the Holy Spirit has met with him and told him something very, very precious. And one day, Mary and Joseph arrive to bring Jesus into the temple. Paintings you see, you see an empty temple and Mary and Joseph coming in with a child and Simeon there and Anna in the background. Chances are the temple was heaving with people, jostling around and bustling and getting in each other's ways. Noise, people selling things. The courtyard was full of people selling the doves and the lambs ready for sacrifice. Money changers out in the temple courtyard as well. And inside, all the people coming in daily, coming from outside the city into the city for whatever sacrifice they were presenting. Part of the Jewish culture and ritual was to sacrifice at the temple. So the place would have been full, heaving with people. And yet both Anna and Simeon, in that crowd, recognize Jesus for who he is. And Simeon then prophesies into his life. Beautiful words that we say at Evensong in the Nunctimitis. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. A real song of thanksgiving, of acknowledgement of what God has shown him. My eyes have seen your salvation. But it doesn't stay with the personal. It goes out into the promise for all people. You have prepared in the sight of all people a light for revelation to the Gentiles. This isn't just a promise for himself, although the joy at that promise being fulfilled must have been immense. He saw Jesus for who he was, is, and the promise and the hope for all people. And that beautiful prophecy that we still say, sing, regularly and hold on to that, those words still as a prophecy for what is still to come. Anna and Simeon, this short passage, the only time they're mentioned. So we don't know their prehistory other than what it says and we certainly don't know what happens afterwards. Let's imagine what life has been like for them. For both of them, there's been a long time of waiting that long period of widowhood for Anna. All her hopes and dreams, seven years after her marriage, shattered. And she doesn't remarry. That's a long time of waiting, of being on her own, of life not being as she had hoped or imagined it would have been. And for Simeon, again, that long time of waiting for what the Holy Spirit has promised him, if he knows so clearly that the Holy Spirit has spoken to him, you're waiting with real anticipation. It's not just an idle hope. And day by day, and hour by hour, year by year, month by month, Simeon is still waiting. Still waiting for what he knows God has said to him to come true. How might they have lived their lives? Well, they could have lived them with a sense of disappointment with disillusionment, when things don't go quite as we hope or imagine they might. Disappointment is a very natural and normal response. But they would have had long lives 
of disappointment if they'd chosen to live like that. They could have chased after other things. I think that would have been a response in today's culture. This hasn't worked, so try something else. This promise doesn't seem to be coming true. Well, let's see what the next promise might be. Forever chasing after the next thing could have been a response. They could have given up on God. Who is he then? Does he care for me? How could he have let this happen to me? Why isn't he delivering what he has promised me? They could have given up on God and yet they chose to devote their time to being in the temple where they worship God constantly. They could have been angry. Very natural ways of responding to the situations they find themselves in. Instead, they chose to live quiet lives of faithfulness, worshipping God regularly. This isn't just a sort of coming at Christmas and Easter response. They've devoted their lives to being in the temple, to worshipping God regularly. And that's the key for what happens to them. They choose to live their lives close to God, regardless of what has happened. Regardless of what they might still feel from time to time. Let down, disappointed, did I actually hear God on that? I'm sure they felt those things from time to time. And some days it might have been an active decision to walk into the temple to give praises to God, who so seemingly was absent to them in their lives. But that's what they chose And as they worship God, I imagine they drew closer and closer to him. Because in that place of prayer and worship, we give up a space where God can come in. As we come before God, humbly, with praise, waiting for him, we're giving him space to come and meet with us. And I imagine that throughout their time, they had some special encounters with God. Special moments of knowing his presence close. And recognising God at work. Because how could Simeon, across a crowded room, have spotted this child who would have looked just like any other child? At a distance he would have seen, this is the moment. This is what I have been waiting for. And he took the baby into his arms and presented him to God and said, this is it. How could he have known that? Despite the paintings, Jesus didn't have a halo around his head. He was a baby. I think it's that closeness of worship and prayer that has allowed Simeon to see with God's eyes to understand his perspective. And without booming voices and clouds opening up before him, he knew. He knew who Jesus was. And the same with Anna. We don't hear that Anna had had that same promise. And yet as she comes forward, she too sees Jesus for who he is. I just see in Anna and Simeon examples of people who live very simple, quiet faithful lives who draw close to God and understand him more and more and see him at work in in different ways and I wonder 
what that says to us. How that challenges us as we often wait. As we often wait for God to reveal himself to us. I keep crying out to you, your Lord, and yet you don't seem to be there. When God seems to have promised us things and we're still waiting for the fulfillment of them. When we're waiting to see some hope in our lives and in the lives of those around us and we wait and we wait and we wait. How do we respond if we still want to hear God? Because if we choose those other ways of disappointment, of walking away from God, of anger, of chasing other things, we lose the ability to hear his voice. And we're less likely to be able to see him when he does work. It's hard, it's a challenge. But there's something about regular, faithful prayer and worship, even when we don't feel like it, even when we feel that God has let us down. But coming before him, and trusting him, and believing him, and worshipping him, and praising him. Perhaps using other people's words. Perhaps reading the Psalms from 1 to 150, and using the words of those who have gone before us, because we haven't got the words. There is something about regular prayer and worship that keeps us close to God, so that when he does work in our lives, and in the lives of those around us, we see it. And it may not be as a clamouring voice, but we know deep inside. When I think back over my life and how has God spoken to me, how have I known God is saying something? Most of the time, it's a quiet intuition. It's almost like a feeling of certainty, a feeling of peace. That yes, God is in this. Sometimes it might be a little bit more dramatic than that. And sometimes I can be having a conversation with somebody and almost feel goosebumps down my back and think, oh gosh, God's here. Not that I was expecting him, not that I'd even prayed for him to be in that conversation. But God is speaking. He is at work in our lives. And we need to tune in, to tune in to who he is and to what he is saying. And there may be no mountaintop experiences. But that moment of recognition of Jesus is the most powerful that we could ever hope for. And to open our eyes into a situation and see Jesus there, to see God there in it, is all we need. Anna and Simeon waited and waited and waited. But in that active waiting, they never lost sight of God. And they continued to pray and to worship him, to draw close to God. And I think when Simeon would have told his story, there would have been many other incidents where he just happened to be beside the right person who needed him at that moment. And when he's in heaven, perhaps other people will also say to him, you were there when I needed you. And he never even realised. The same with Anna. Because they walked closely with God and were able to be moved by him and to recognise him. I just think that's a huge challenge for us all because it's the hardest. It takes the biggest discipline to wait and wait and not always believe that God is there. 
is really hard. But Anna and Simeon are examples to us of how we might respond in that waiting. I want to read a poetic interpretation of this passage just to give us some time to think about our own lives and where we are waiting. And in, as I read, just to lift those situations to God and to say, even though I may not hear you, I still believe that you are God and sovereign and will reveal yourself. Every day, the two of them would make their way to the temple. In days gone by, he had gone with head held high to play his part. Nowadays, there were younger, leaner men to take his place, and he preferred to watch. As many blazing summers had come and gone, so he had grown to know this place like the lines on his leathery hand. He knew every cracked flagstone and every scarred brick. He knew where the shadows fell on their daily march around the courtyards. He knew where the poorest would gather to watch without being seen, and where the rich would strut, preening their robes like peacocks for all to see. He knew where the smells of the bazaar would tumble over the temple walls like uninvited guests, and where the waft of incense would tug the soul to higher things. These days he liked to sit rather than walk in this hallowed place and nurse the word in his heart. It had grown stronger of late, like a bell on a boy at sea, clanging insistent in the distance. Today it was almost deafening. He could hardly hear a thing above its din by the time they arrived. Their eyes were furtive, this young couple, darting everywhere and clutching the baby's helpless bundle tight as if the whole world depended on it. Feeling that his very head would burst with a noise, he took the child from them and shouted above the clanging words, This is the child. And then, in harmony now with the bell's note, he spoke of promises fulfilled and eyes opened, of light shed from heaven, and a sword to pierce the heart of the young woman who stood before him. Smiling at her, the light dancing in his watery eyes, he returned the child. It was over now, the waiting done. Simeon returned to the house of his birth, returned to the arms of his maker, and the word, set free from his heart, found its way elsewhere and Heavenly Father we long to hear your voice to see you at work to recognise you for where you are would you draw us closer to you so that we are in tune with you that when you do appear we don't miss it give us a discipline of prayer and worship that we might know you in Jesus name Amen.